Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the David and David on Real Estate podcast. And we are today, we're in the 50s, David. I feel we're, old. It's, it's 51. 51. Like, I think we should maybe switch to Roman numerals, like the Super Bowl. <laughs> Change it up a little bit, make it a little bit different. I'm not sure if I can count into the 50s in Roman numerals, but we'll confuse everybody yeah but uh, we have a really important topic today uh david i'm I'm glad you brought this up because um you know my office is always getting a lot of questions and and this is quite um a complex issue but today we're going to be talking about um tenant and landlord issues yeah on, on the residential side things that affect transactions primarily because that's what you and I are getting questions on all the time uh you know where you're a seller and and it's a tenanted property and you're selling you want to sell the property are you selling it you know subject to the tenancy because the tenant is staying and you need a buyer to assume that tenancy and if so what do you what do you do and and that's sort of the easy thing you know that's much easier than no I'm going to sell it vacant the tenant's going to be leaving and I'm selling it vacant, so I'm looking for a buyer that wants a vacant property. But what if the tenant doesn't leave? Or how do you make sure the tenant leaves? And, and what are the rights of the tenants? What are the rights of the landlord? And, and a lot of people are getting into those type of predicaments. So it gets a little, little complicated a lot of times. It does. And there's a lot of issues and questions surrounding um, you know, what, who has what rights uh, including the new buyer of the property and what their rights are and, uh, you know, can they ask for vacant possession and what circumstances. So uh, it's a great topic, um, you know, and, and before we get into it, I want to share a story. One of my realtors gave me a call actually yesterday as it, uh, as it happens, and she did a transaction back in July of 2021. The deal went firm and the property was tenanted. They asked for vacant possession. And I was just made aware that the transaction to this day has not closed because the tenant is refusing to move out and the new buyer is refusing to assume the tenant. So this agreement of purchase and sale is, is open. Um, the lawyers are communicating, you know, there's, there's um, an application before the tribunal no hearing has been scheduled as of yet to to uh, from what I'm aware, and uh, everything is in limbo. So I, I assume there the parties have been extending the transaction. So it's like the, the closing date they keep extending to try and get into the tribunal to get a decision. Right, because they could have at some point they, they could have one party or the other could have terminated the transaction and walked away because he couldn't provide vacant possession right which is the first point to make. Like if your agreement says that you're providing vacant possession, you got to provide vacant possession. If you can't, the transaction, the buyer doesn't have to close. The transaction is not going to close, right? And Absolutely. the standard form agreement of purchase and sale says right in the, in the date, in the clause that has the completion date or the closing date, it says, you know, upon completion, the seller will be providing vacant possession right in the printed form. And it says, unless it's otherwise specified somewhere else in the agreement. So as an agent, you got to be careful with that because you might cross that out. So it won't be vacant possession, 
or even if you put that in, it's still subject to whatever else is in a schedule. And if the schedule has a clause that clearly says there won't be vacant position on closing, the buyer's going to, there is a tenant or there's two tenants or three tenants or whatever it is, and the buyer agrees to assume the tenants, that's got to be very carefully articulated clearly so that there's a clear obligation of the buyer to assume those tenants. Otherwise, they're entitled to vacant possession. So now the seller's got to make sure they get the tenant out. Yeah, and it, the responsibility does fall on the seller, right? So, I mean, um, you know, you got to take a couple of steps back. And at the time of listing the property, you know, you have to do a lot of due diligence, right? You have to get a copy of the lease. You have to check if there's a lease in place, if the lease is month to month. Um, you know, you got to make sure that uh, interest has been paid on the deposit that the, uh, that the tenant has given the landlord. And, and, you know, in some situations, if the tenant has been there for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, we're seeing some of those situations, that interest, you know, might be, um, you know, a number that uh, is contagious, right? And you have to, you know, verify and do some due diligence and, and make sure that that is addressed at some point as well. And you know what those numbers are. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Because when you're, when you are closing on a transaction where a tenancy is being assumed, it's not just an adjustment for the current month's rent that you have to do. And you have to do that. And you have to do an adjustment. If there was a security deposit of some sort that was paid at a certain time, you have to give credit to the buyer for that. But like you said, you've got to do this interest calculation from the time that the deposit was made until the closing date to figure out what that would be. And there's prescribed rates, you know, how the, by the government of what the interest you're allowed to or you're, you're obligated to provide for that so you have to adjust that too so it's a lot of homework so that's a great point david like anytime you're dealing with the property that's going to be so a tenancy you got to get all your ducks in a row and have all that information before you put your listing out and before you start drafting agreement purchase and sale to make sure that you're doing it properly and you're, and you're including all those things there's no surprises to anybody yep. I always get questions and, and, you know, realtors always ask, Hey, should I tell the tenant that we're selling the property and that they're going to have to move? And I always answer them, why would you ever have that conversation? I mean, that's, you know, that's not what the law says and that's not what their rights are. So, yeah. you know, I, I think we need to really talk about that and explain that. So there's only two scenarios where um, a landlord can provide notice to a tenant and ask them to move out of the property and, and deliver vacant possession, right? So the first instance is if a buyer signs an affidavit and swears that they're going to be moving in or their immediate family, and then you have 60 calendar days from the beginning of a month, which is really important to note as well, right? That time period. So if you're giving notice somebody on, let's say tomorrow, you give somebody notice, you'd have to start counting the 60 days from the 1st of July. Right. 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 And, and you got to be very careful with calculating the days and the notices that you're giving, because any flaw in that, you're always going to be doing it on the basis, well, what if there, there's a dispute and you're going to the landlord and tenant bureau, what are they going to hold up? And if there's any technical flaw in the notice that you gave, for sure, you got no chance to win anyways, right? Zero chance. And then you're starting the whole process from zero. You start over. You're waiting six months for the, for the, for the trial date. Right. So, um, you know, it, uh, it, it, it could cause some major delays, right? 
Yeah. But the point here is that at the point of making the decision to list the property for sale, you could never in a million years anticipate that the person who's buying the property will need it for personal possession, right? So that conversation with the landlord should, you know, should never really be had, sorry, with the tenant should never really be had, right? So, I mean, you can say to the tenant, hey, there might be a situation where the new buyer requires a property for their own personal use, but we will know that in the future and, you know, we'll keep you uh, abreast and, 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 you know, uh, we'll, we'll let you know, you know, what the intentions of the new buyers are. But until you get that buyer to the table and until they sign an affidavit claiming that the property is going to be for their use or their immediate family, you really have no idea if you're going to have legal grounds to evict that tenant or even have that conversation and ask them to leave. So that's really important. We're seeing really important. We're, we're seeing a lot of agents not really understanding that, right? Like they're, they got the listing right away. They're talking to the tenant and they're saying, hey, you're going to have to move. We're listing the property. Not true at all. Because the, the Residential Tenancies Act basically states that if an investor buys the property, you know, they really have no legal grounds to ask the tenant to leave unless they're doing a substantial renovation of the property. And in that instance, the actual tenant would have the right of first refusal when the renovation is completed at a increased uh, rental rate to come back to come back exactly right. and you know and that's really important too and and you you've raised some some great points here but i always you know we talk about law and legal rights and stuff like that and i always like to come back to the practicalities too when you're when you're dealing with this stuff so You've got a tenant that's in there. So you have to accept the fact that tenant has some rights. Okay. Now, is it a bad thing to tell a tenant? Well, you know, I'm the owner. You've been a great tenant or you've been a lousy tenant. Doesn't matter. But I'm looking to sell the property. Like there's no obligation to tell the tenant that. But sometimes from a practical point of view, it might make sense to tell them. Because sometimes the natural buyer of a property is the tenant. Okay, especially tenants been there for a while. They've been in, let's say it's you know, usually it'd be a good tenant who's actually looking after the place and maintaining it because they take a little pride themselves in the property. Sometimes they're a natural buyer. Like, so sometimes it's like, why shouldn't you talk to the tenant that you know loves the place and doesn't want to move out? And you can't get rid of the tenant anyways. Maybe they want to buy the property. So why not have that conversation in some instances just for that reason alone? But aside from that, you have to, and they say, no, I'm not interested, but I love being a tenant here. And the tenant knows you're not getting rid of me. I'm staying. So, so now what? Okay, so now you're going to do your homework. You're going to be listing the property and you're going to be selling it subject to the tenancy. Now, you might have to have a conversation depending on the property. Like you said, what if you think that anybody, you know, the place really needs a renovation and you think that anybody that's going to buy this property might go that route and, and do a substantial renovation. So then you say to the tenant, look, potential buyer might do a substantial renovation. You might get a notice. You might have to move out for a year, go somewhere else. And yeah, you'll have a right to come back, but you've already moved out. Are you really going to want to come back? Maybe just move out once, find another place. Let's pick a reasonable time, give you plenty of notice. Let's pick a date and sign an agreement to end the tenancy. Sometimes a landlord will even throw a sweetener in. You know, if you agree to... Because parties can always contract out of their lease, whether it's a month-to-month lease or a fixed-term lease. Landlord-tenant can always just come to an agreement saying, hey, we agree to end this tenancy on, a, on August 1st and whatever terms they agree to. And sometimes a landlord might say, you know what, 
I'm going to give you some free rent for a couple of months if you agree to leave and you sign this form under the land of tenure. So you have to leave by that date. If you don't, we can go to the tribunal and get an order to get you out. So you're agreeing to leave. And we can agree on those terms. A landlord, you know, might throw in something, you know, cash payment or a couple of months free or something, because it might be worth their while to get a tenant to agree to leave. But you have to understand the tenant has rights. And you can all you might be able to negotiate something off those rights. Otherwise, you have to respect those rights. Because if you're gonna, if you're trying to trample those rights and you walk into the tribunal, no chance. Yeah, and the tribunal has been really tough on, on landlords and agents who, you know, um, aren't respectful to those rights and advise their clients outside of those rights as well. So, you know, realtors have to be very careful what advice they give uh, their clients as well. And I completely agree with the practicality of, of these situations, Dave, and, and we're seeing this a lot, you know, and, and we call it cash for keys, right? It's a concept <laughs> called cash for keys. Yeah. And it's gained massive popularity lately because, you know, tenants are understanding what their rights are, right? So, you know, we've seen really crazy property appreciations and a lot of landlords are cashing out, but the other investor that's coming in and buying the property, you know, also understands that, Hey, I don't want to move in here. Right. And maybe I don't want to do a substantial renovation and I want vacant possession because I, that gives me the ability to have, you know, control over who's in my property, but more importantly, market rents in today's environments are way higher than they were two, three, four, five years ago. Right. And if investors are paying a higher price for these properties, they need more monthly cash flow to cover the additional debt that they're incurring by purchasing. Right. right. So a lot of the times they want to get a new tenant where they control the terms um, and they control the market rents. And the only way to do that is to get vacant possession on, on, on closing. So the concept for cash for keys has been very prevalent. And I've seen situations where, you know, landlords had had to pay over $10,000 to a tenant to get them out and ensure that closing happens on time and uh, everything goes very smoothly. Yeah. And in some scenarios, that, that's a good investment. It's like that's money well spent sometimes. Yes. Okay. What we're also seeing, like that's sort of the proper way to do it. What we're also seeing is a lot of fake attempts or fraudulent attempts, whatever term you want to use to get tenants out by trying to use one of those two methods to get rid of a tenant by either faking that a buyer needs it for their own purposes, for their own family, when it's not true because they want the tenant out. And sometimes it's just the buyer doing it. Sometimes it's the buyer and seller working together to try and do it. And it's very dangerous and, or faking that they're going to do a substantial renovation, get the tenant out. And then they just paint the place and put a new tenant in and they don't do that substantial renovation. Right. So people are constantly trying to scheme around the Residential Tenancy Act to find a way out. OK. And I always, you know, my role is tell them what the law is and tell them to be careful. And let me just read something to you. OK. The purpose of the Residential Tenancy Act, because you can't I can't paraphrase it better than, than I could read. The purpose of the Residential Tenancy Act to provide protection for residential tenants from unlawful rent increases and unlawful evictions to establish a framework for the regulation of residential rents. 
And then it says to balance the rights and responsibilities of residential landlords and tenants and to provide a process for adjudicating disputes, et cetera. So the second part of the sentence says to balance the rights and responsibilities of residential landlords and tenants. It doesn't start with that. Like here's a board is created because we're looking out for landlords and we're looking out for tenants. No, it says the primary purpose is to protect tenants from unlawful rent increases and un unlawful evictions. That's the primary purpose. And secondarily, we're gonna try and balance the rights of landlords too. So if you're a landlord or an owner, you gotta know that. So to. anytime you're going to the board asking for something, you've gotta have all your eyes there. You gotta have all your T's crossed. You can't screw up on your notices, your dates, you completing for everything's gotta be perfect. You have to have clean hands. You can't, they can't get a whiff that you're trying to do something sneaky or fraudulently or fake or any of that. You're gonna and if you come with all that, there's a good chance you lose because they never want to throw a tenant out on the street, even if they have to evict a tenant. Tenant hasn't paid rent for months, tenants trashing the place, tenants disturbing other tenants. They get all this evidence. A judge is still gonna say, you know, tenant, can you? Be, you know, can you be a good guy? Can you be a little nicer? Can you clean up your act? Can you make a payment? How much time do you need to catch up with your rent? And how much time do you, can I, I'll give you some time. Okay, let's give you 60 days or 90 days to fix up the place. And then, we'll, then you know, and we'll give you some time to do it. You know, it's the middle of winter. We're not throwing you out in the street. They're always bending over backwards to, to give that tenant more time. Even though the landlord is right. The landlord was a good landlord going by the letter of the law, doing everything right. They're still going to, lean towards the tenant so you have to know that they protect the weaker party like that's really what the residential tenancies act is about it's protecting the party that has less yeah. power less say um and that's all pre-covid yeah. right and, with and, covid and, it's even it's, it's always you know it's always the really bad landlords that ruin it for the good landlords right and like when you when you look at history like i I'll give you an example. One of our staff members at the office um, is, is a renter and the landlord came in and turned off their AC unit in the middle of summer, last summer. Um, I can't remember why. And I think it was because the mother came to visit for a couple of weeks and, and the landlord didn't like that there was more people occupying the property than on the, on the rental agreement. But they arbitrarily came and, and, you know, the furnace room is locked. So they turned off the AC and, you know, for a period of, I think, two months, uh, they had no AC. But in that situation, I agree that the landlord should be taken to the landlord and tenant board and should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of, of, of that situation. But by the time, you know, they made an application to, to the board, summer was already over. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, looking at some of these conditions and, and these rentals, I understand why the law would be written the way it is. And you bring up an excellent point, you know, in that paragraph, when you look at, you know, why the statute was written, you know, it was, it was the, the rights of the landlord are, are secondary to, to everything else. And, and that's the way it's really written the, on, on the residential side. I would say that the majority of the law favors the, the tenant, unfortunately. Tenants have rights. Right. And even, even when the tenant's wrong, the, the judge is generally still going to give them an opportunity to fix it. 
And the, but the first issue that you raised, David, is there's a timing issue. Like you think, okay, oh, I'm a landlord. I, you know, and, and we're not trying to discourage people of becoming landlords and owning investment properties and things like that. Cause you know, you know, you deal with that a lot in agent and you're always talking about doing that and everything like everybody should do it. Like, don't be discouraged, but you have to know what you're doing. You have to have the appetite for it and know what happens because you say, okay, resident tenant sex. So that's great. So I know I got to have a standard lease and we complete a standard lease. And you, you know, you, you do that. And now you got a tenant. And, and, and if there's a dispute, okay, I go to the, I go to the tribunal. And if I'm the good landlord doing everything right, I'm, you know, I'll go to the tribunal and I'll get the tenant to move out if we have to, or I'll get the tenant to pay his rent, or I'll get the tenant to fix whatever they're supposed to fix. And, and the tenant thinks the same way about the landlord. If the landlord's turning the AC up, I just go to the tribunal and I'll get, the, I'll get an order for the landlord to do it. But you can't go like the next day to get in there. Like it's months and months and months sometimes to get in there. And, and then you go there and sometimes another party says, oh, I'm not ready to go today. Can I get an adjournment? They get asked to get an adjournment. There's a way to stall it out. And look at the situation you raised. Like it's been a year already for you've got people with a transaction keep extending and they haven't been able to get there yet. So that's a bit of a flaw in the system because you can't, it's not like you can apply the next day and go in and see a judge and get an, and get an order. Like it's yeah. a process. Yeah. You know, a, a lawyer once told me that it's kind of like private health care and public health care, right? And when you, once you go into the court system or into the, the system, then you're really at the mercy of the system. So it's always better to solve your issues directly with the tenant you know, it's that whole practicality of the law that you mentioned, cash for keys. I mean, you know, you, you can always have an agreement outside of, of, of what, you know, the contract is and you can contract out of it. Um, so I would encourage everybody to, you know, use that as their primary means of navigating any of these situations. Um, you know, I think being amicable and, and, and talking and, 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 you know, really leaning on the relationship you have with your tenants and the landlord is the number one way to resolve all these disputes. It, it is. And, and look, if you can offer the tenant some alternatives, like if you're a real estate agent involved in this, you say, look, you know, we're trying to sell this. We want to get the tenant out. Um, but if you can also present that tenant some options, first of all, we're going to give you some time. We're not going to give you like 10 days and you got to get out of here. and You have no idea where you're going because obviously they're going to say no to that. But we're going to give you a reasonable period of time. But by the way, here's three or four properties I want to take you to go see hundred percent that you might like even better than where you are. And the rates are comparable or, or it's a better rate, or maybe it's more, but you're getting more for it or right. Like, like give them some practical options. They don't know the market. They're sitting there thinking, Oh, I'm, you know, I got another, you know, year on my lease or I got another few months or I'm month to month. So no one's getting rid of me. I can stay as long as I want until I get a notice, but give them some options and explain the market to them. Like, like, you know, those are the practical things that you have to do, I think, to try and get an agreement. Okay. Now, having said that landlord and tenant can negotiate agreement. You know, you can say, okay, I'm giving you $10,000. You agree to leave August 1st and they sign that. And now you've got an agreement to end the tenancy negotiated in good faith. Everybody signs it in the correct form. It's all done properly. You're still holding your breath until, till August 1st to make sure that they get out because, oh, you know, I couldn't get out. I couldn't get a moving truck. Uh, I need a couple more weeks. Uh, my, the place I'm going to wasn't ready yet. I have to paint for like, you come like all kinds of excuses. So even though people agree to leave in a certain day, sometimes they don't. 
And again, your recourse is, no, you agreed to leave August 1st. It's now August 1st. You haven't left it. I could go to the residential board and get an order to evict you. And let's say you do get an order. Then that has to go to a sheriff who has to attend. You got to get the sheriff there. Like it's a whole process. You're not getting them there on August 2nd still. So it's still an issue. It but is. you're reducing your risk at least because you because you will get them out if they sign that. As long as you know they signed it in good faith and it was done properly, you will get them out. It's a question of when. And, and more often than not, you'll get a tenant, they'll cooperate at that point because you know they received money, they received time, they know where they're going, there is a plan, right? So at least there's a plan. They know they've got a place to move to and they know when they're moving and they got enough time to do it. So then you got a good chance of getting them out, right? But you got yeah, think, all this in advance. Absolutely, and I think, you know, talking about best practices, right? When you get that N11 or N12 signed, well, N12 doesn't need to be signed by the tenant, but N11 is a form for um, mutual um, understanding to end tenancy. When you get that form signed by the tenant, uh, the minute it's signed, I always encourage all my realtors to file it with the landlord and tenant board the day it's signed, right? So, yep. uh, you know, as you're waiting for 60 days or 90 days to come to an end, if you're noticing that the tenant, you know, there's a chance that they're not going to cooperate, you know, you're already three months in and you're way, you know, ahead of that time period and you can you know, expedite the process of getting the landlord and tenant uh, board involved to make sure that they honor that agreement that was, uh, that was reached. So that's a really good thing to do, whether you have a good relationship or not with the tenant, go ahead and file that paperwork, make it, um, you know, make it a formal process and that way um, you're just a couple months ahead of uh, the necessary time period um, if, if things do go south. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And, and, and I would even let the tenant know that you've done it, okay? I think you have to make it a formal process because the tendency is to try and make it more buddy-buddy. You know, thanks for cooperating. You know, we'll send some email confirming you're leaving and we wish you well and blah, blah, blah. But, the, but I think you have to go formal on this so they know that the clock is ticking on them and that they have to get out. There's a legal obligation to get out. And if they don't get out, there's gonna be consequences to them, which could be could include, you know, getting an order for some, some costs against them issue because they're the party not cooperating and everything. Now that's harder in, you know, residential tenancy situations, like judges don't wanna hammer tenants for those type of costs, but potentially they are. If they're, try, if they're abusing the system, eventually it'll catch up to them too, right? So I think your, your advice is great, David. Like you gotta make it a, a more formal process. Here's the forms, it's, they've been filed, it's been submitted. And just to give you a reminder, the, you know, that you have to be out by that date, you know, and how's it going? Anything I could do to help? You know, oh, I'm having trouble getting a mover. Oh, okay, here, I'll get you some names for, for some movers, you know? Yeah. Like whatever you could do to make the process easier for them, like it's good for everybody, right? Good for everybody. And speaking of making the process easy, I just want to take a step back because we haven't really talked about this, but at the time of listing the property, I think it's so important that you actually take the time to go and meet with the tenant and really drive home that relationship, you know, bring them something small, maybe like a bottle of wine or a gift card to a restaurant. Uh, look, at, at the end of the day, this is the place where they live. This is their home, right? And, and no matter how good or how professional you are, there's always going to be an element of inconvenience, 
to having other people walk through their space and to show their space to uh, you know, other potential buyers, right? So I think it's a great practice to you know, give your tenant a $50 gift card and say, look, I know there's gonna be showings. I know that you know, during dinner time, there might be people here. You won't be able to you know, probably sit down with your family, have a meal because there's showings going on. So look, I wanted to give you a $50 gift card, you know, go and have a meal on me. And, and, and you know, this is a small token of our appreciation of your cooperation and, and something small for the inconvenience that you're gonna feel. That's gonna do wonders to yep. you know, allow people to come in to, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the tenant's going to say, you know what, you didn't give me 24 hours, but you've been so good to me. I don't mind if somebody comes and sees the place tonight, right? So right. making sure that you have that solid relationship with the tenant from day one is so important because if, if you get that wrong and, you know, the tenant doesn't want you in their space, the tenant keeps refusing appointments, the tenant, you know, says, hey, we have COVID every week for the next 25 weeks in a row. Good luck getting in here. Um, you're going to make life a lot more difficult for yourself. The other advice I have is spend the money up front and make sure that you get the best property tour you can get. Do a 3D property tour, do a video walkthrough, get as much multimedia as you possibly can at the very beginning. So that if a situation arises where, you know, the tenant does get COVID or, or stops allowing showings, you can still show the property virtually which, you know, you can still move forward with the sale and still market the property to potential buyers. I think that's really important as well. Yeah, that, that's a really important thing too. Uh, because, you know, if you look at it, selling a tenanted property is no different than selling an untenanted property. There's a whole bunch of potential buyers that want to see it. And then once they're, they're, they're interested in it, then they want to get an inspection. They want to come back for an inspection. And now they're, let's say they're the successful buyer and they've signed an agreement to take it over, even though they're buying it subject to a tenancy, they still might have to get their lender in for an appraisal, okay? They still might have to get certain contractors come in because there's things that have to be fixed. Even that, if it's stuff that's for the benefit of the tenant, there's still a bunch of these visits that may have to happen just in the normal course of the transaction. And each one of those is a disruption for the tenant and the tenants say like, you know, there's nothing in this for me or I'm, you know, it all is a disruption, right? So you, you've got to be mindful of that. And like you say, find a way around it. So you have to have that relationship to let them in and say, look, I, we're, you know, we know there's going to be an inconvenience no matter what, we're going to try and minimize it. We're trying to give you as much notice as we can. We're going to try and keep the visits as short as we can. But there's going to be some of this. And occasionally we might have to ask for something that is shorter notice than we'd like to give you. And you have the right to say no and we'll try and reschedule it. But sometimes I might, you know, we got to, you know, wash each other's backs, so to speak. And, you know, and maybe you offer them something. Like every time, you know, we ask you to go out for two hours, we're going to give you a gift certificate. So you're going out for supper each time. Here's a 50 buck, you know, go, go get a meal for two hours and then come back. Right. You've got to be mindful of it because you, you need that cooperation from the tenant. You do. Um, one of my realtors listed a property uh, that they knew they're going to get a lot of action on um, at the height of the market. And what they did is they listed on a Thursday and they were accepting offers on Sunday. So they actually paid for the tenant to go into a hotel room for four days. They had a small kid. Right. So they, you know, they paid for a hotel room. It was around the corner from where the house was. The hotel were, you know, cost $150 a night. 
Um, and, uh, you know, that opened up the slate that they could show the house at any time from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. They didn't require 24-hour notice. And, you know, there was zero inconvenience to the tenant and their six-year-old daughter. And it was, you know, a fantastic way to handle that situation yeah. and to make it a really good experience for everybody involved. Yeah, no, that's, that's brilliant. It really is. You know, the, the other thing you, you got to look at, like how much time, if you're selling an untenanted property, you, you know, as agents these days, you're always telling your clients to declutter the house and then we're going to do some staging, right? Like that's part, that's become part of the norm of selling a property these days. But now go and try and do that when there's a tenant there and, and the place is totally cluttered. And e even if the tenant's agreeing to leave, and at a certain date, you're giving you're selling it, so it's going to be vacant. But the potential buyers are walking into a place that hasn't been staged, and it's not decluttered, and it might be a way better place than it's showing because of those factors, right? So ideally, you'd like to be able to go to the tenant and say, "Hey, you know, you know, do me a favor. Can you clean up this mess a little bit? Or I got people, you know, we got showings coming up. Can we?" try and do something or we want to bring in a couple pieces of furniture to do some staging and you can you can use that that stuff for a while but we want to move out some of your garbage like those are hard conversations to have right get easier if you have a great rock solid relationship with the tenant like they really right. do get easier right if you have a bad relationship then they're impossible conversations to have yeah, yeah. so david yeah. let me ask you this question say you've done all that and say the closing day comes and you're supposed to get vacant possession, but, you know, for whatever reason, out of the control of the tenant, the tenant is still in the property. What happens next? Well, your, your recourse, you have to, you can only get rid of them by getting an order through the, through, through the tribunal, the landlord and tenant tribunal to get an order to evict them. And, you know, because they're not complying with one of those notices that they've been given depending on whatever one it is, and they're supposed to be out. And then you, you get an order, and then you still have to be able to, just because you have an order, you, you show up, oh, here's an order, or you send it to the tenant, or the judge hands it to them. It doesn't mean they're moving out the next day either. So, and, and the order might be, it's usually it's not the next day, sometimes it could be, but it might be an order you got to leave, you know, in the next couple of days, or whatever the order says. But you still have to enforce that order too. So you got to get that order in the hands of a sheriff because you're not, the landlord's not allowed to show up and grab the tenant by the shirt and say, here's the order and I'm pulling you out of the house and getting rid of your stuff. But you can get a sheriff to do that, you know, basically to enforce that order. But all of that takes time and it takes some effort and, and obviously some money too. So you have to be able to pr be prepared for that process. And I, I could tell you something too, like, my law firm, you know, we're involved all the time on buying and selling properties subject to tenancies and dealing with these type of issues we've been discussing, but we don't go to the tribunal. Okay, we're not doing that type of work. There aren't a lot of lawyers that actually do that kind of work. It's, um, it's usually done mostly by paralegals that, that hang around the courts and they're there all day. And they, so it make, it becomes worth their while at some point. And the reason the lawyers, you just generally can't charge enough and it's not worth the while for the lawyers to do it. Things get adjourned. Uh, there isn't enough money involved. And the system is designed so you should be able to go without a lawyer. Okay, it's designed so a landlord and tenant can walk in 
on their own, just like small claims court, you know, up to a certain threshold, you can sue each other without needing a lawyer. So, so that's where the system was designed. Okay. Now I would tell anybody, like, if you can get a paralegal to go help you, someone that's there all the time, that knows the ins and the outs and knows how to get on a list and knows, you know, that might have some advantage, like you're better off doing that. And it's a good investment to get a paralegal to, to do it. Because you're not going to, you're going to have a lot of trouble finding a, law, a lawyer to actually attend for one of these things. So we don't do it. Okay. You can do it on your own or get a paralegal to do it, but, but get one that's there all the time. That's really specializing these because they know they can tell you exactly what the timing's likely going to be, what your chance of success are, and they'll make sure that the forms are all completed properly as well. Okay. Cause that's the first thing a judge is going to look for. Did you miss filling in a, the form properly? Oh, good. Easy one. Yeah, you know, start over again. Come back when it's when it's all signed properly, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in in that case, David, like on on the technical form, would you be extending the closing? And what are the obligations of the parties to work with each other? You know, to to work through those extensions. Like if the seller says no, I want out of this deal. You know, the tenant's still there. Like, you know what are the responsibilities of both parties to work through those issues? Uh, you know, if closing take comes and the tenant is still there. Yeah. Look, the, the written agreement governs agreement of purchase and sale. If it says you're supposed to get vacant possession on August 1st and August 1st, the seller can't deliver vacant possession. The, the buyer doesn't have to close. There's no obligation on the buyer to assume the tenancy. Now that is something that can be negotiated though. Okay, and we see that all the time with an agreement that's saying, you know, you're disclosing everything, we've given notice to the tenant, the tenant's supposed to leave by August 1st, and here, here's evidence that we've done it, and even there's an agreement to leave, but just in case they don't, sometimes you can negotiate a term where the buyer says, if, that the buyer agrees if the tenant's not out, the buyer agrees to assume the tenant, and then either the buyer's going to take over the process of getting the eviction, but they'll get the rent in the meantime, but they, they close and they take over the process or sometimes it's negotiated yet the buyer agrees to assume the tenant and close, but the seller post-closing is going to continue with, it's still the seller's obligation to pursue this through the board to get rid of the tenant. Okay. And maybe there's a holdback of funds involved to make sure that the seller does that. Or, or if the buyer's taking over, sometimes it's negotiated that if they're not out, buyer's going to close, but maybe there's an abatement in the purchase price by $10,000 or whatever the number is, because the buyer is now going to spend money and take over the process to get rid of the, the tenant. But these are things that can be negotiated one way or the other. Okay. But it, it has to be negotiated and agreed to in the agreement. In the absence of anything like that, you get to the closing date, tenant doesn't move out, buyer doesn't have to close. Buyer says, sorry, I want my deposit back. I'm going to go buy something else. Okay. Now, Sometimes we get to those situations and the buyer really wants the property and the buyer, and we can negotiate an extension at that point in time because they don't want out of the deal. Maybe the value has gone up or, or whatever, but they just, they want to go ahead with the deal. So now it gives it in a situation that you're in the one you mentioned, like they've already extended for a whole year. Right. Yeah. And again, you're going to have a negotiation as to what those extension terms are going to be. Okay. Like, um, you know, the seller's still paying for it. Seller's still responsible for looking after the place. Seller's still insuring it and everything. You're just doing an extension. Or is the buyer 
coming in to do any of that stuff? You know, is there, you know, you're, you're negotiate, you have to negotiate the terms of an extension and come to an agreement. Yeah, I mean, very interesting conversation because I brought that up with the, uh, with the agent in my conversation. They said, you know, how are you guys, you know, handling things like, you know, property taxes and um, some, some expenses uh, in that time period. And, you know, um, the agent was like, well, you know, I didn't think of that. And I said, well, it has rent been collected? You know, is, is the landlord collecting rent? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the tenant's paying. Okay, well, you have to ensure that rent's been uh, being paid. And if rent has been paid, well, then the landlord got the mortgage offset that's being paid off by the tenant. And there's probably enough money there to pay property taxes. So really the landlord, you know, uh, had an advantage over the last 10 months. And, and maybe they're going to agree to the... Um, you know, to the extension with with no other costs incurred by by the buyer, and, and everything's going to remain uh, at same. And you know, if you go through that negotiation, that conversation, that's going to make the most sense. Yeah, we're running into it. To one of the the issues with a buyer agreeing to an extension these days is uh, that mortgage rates are changing on us so fast. So we've got situations where the buyer is saying, okay, if there's a short extension, if it's 30 days or something, I'm okay because I've got a mortgage commitment. As long as I, like we can't close August 1st, but as long as we close by September 1st, I've got the same mortgage. I'm locked in at a certain rate. So there's no real cost to me as a buyer for giving you that month. You know, so, so let's do that. But if we don't close by September 1st, my mortgage commitment expires. And now to get the same mortgage that I wanted for this property is going to cost me more money. The buyer is actually incurring a different cost for the next five years on their mortgage terms. Okay. Yeah. So if the buyer is going to agree to any extension beyond September 1st, they're going to say like, if I'm agreeing to the, then seller, you got to cover me for that interest rate differential that I'm going to be facing because it's your problem that we're not closing on time because the tenant's your responsibility. You can't close. So if you want to keep us going, get an extension, you got to cover me for that cost. And, and right now, like that's a real cost. If we were taught, had this conversation a year ago, that wouldn't be as big as a factor as it is right now, because we've seen these increases in mortgage rates and there's, there, there's more coming, we, we think, right? And that's a big factor. Yeah. David, lots of great topics we discussed today. I, I think the message here is a, is a consistent one have a great team of professionals helping you through these processes uh, seek expert ex advice you know if you're unsure don't tackle it yourself because you know there's real big issues here and tenants have um, big rights and uh, you know you have to be very mindful how you navigate some of these tough situations talk to david corman come talk to me we're happy to guide you through these uh, guys thank you so much for tuning in and and, and hanging out with us um, and next week, actually, David, we have an investor who's going to be talking about rent to own um, and the benefits of, of going through some of those models. So I think it kind of ties in with our conversation today. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to having him on. Um, his name is also David. So we're going to have three days. Oh, no. Next David week. and David and David. <laughs> but right. thank you, everybody. Looking Enjoy your week. We'll see everybody next time. Thanks, everybody. Stay thank safe. All have right, a good week. Bye.